Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 7 of Footmarks, in which I, Behram Kazi, will talk to Jared Kimber today about bounces. Of course, this is inspired uh, by the recently concluded test match at Laws between England and Australia. And, uh, well, Michael Atherton, uh, I think it was Athers, he termed this as Bodyline 2023, Jared. But even if we go back to the actual Bodyline series... It was pretty much just Harold Larwood who was bowling that length day in, day out. And other bowlers had different styles of bowling. Yeah. But if you look at that one session in which England just bowled short deliveries, they bowled two deliveries in the entire session, which were pitched up. So everything else was short. And you'd have to say this was unprecedented, right? Yeah, I think... You've got to understand that bounces weren't very big in the 1920s and 1930s. And so once hmm. you factor that in, you realize that even if they had one bowl of bowling like Neil Wagner, and, and, and hmm. let's say La would bowl as many bounces as Neil Wagner, they didn't have anyone else doing it, right? And if you hmm. look at the footage as well, um, uh, there's, there's one time where he's got like six close infielders on the leg side and then he bowls a Yorker, right? They were still bowling other deliveries, whereas England for one session, did not bowl any other deliveries. And to be fair, Australia did not bowl that many other deliveries either, right? These teams yeah. went absolutely all in with this. The It's got the... It's in the ball-by-ball ball era, which I think goes back to 2002 or 2001. It's the mm. most bounces ever delivered in the ball-by-ball ball era. Um, and that's on, that's on um, manual marking. So people mm-hmm. going, that's a bouncer, that's not a bouncer. But also, if you look at the CrickViz stats, it was by far and away, I think, the most bouncers ever um, in CrickViz. Bodyline body was certainly, there was more bouncers we never seen in cricket. But I don't think if you watch Bodyline now, you would specifically think, oh, that's a bouncer-heavy game. Uh, you might mm-hmm. think that there was one b- bowler in the game who couldn't stop bowling them. But I was shocked even looking at Bodyline to see how little Vos bowled. Uh, because, you know, Larwood and Vos, that's what the bar is called, like at, at mm-hmm. Trent Bridge, you know, very famous <laughs> partnership. And I think Larwood bowls like thirteen or 1,400 balls and Vos bowls like 800. So if he was the other bouncer bowler, he wasn't, he didn't even bowl that many balls, let alone that many bounces, whereas mm-hmm. Gubby Allen uh, refused to bowl bounces um, on the bodyline fields and Headley Verity, their great spinner, was, uh, was their other main bowler. And then they had a couple of part-timers and everything else. So, yeah. Uh, I think this was way more bounces than Bodyline. I don't even think it's that comparable. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we've seen the short ball tactic being used in the past. Of course, you think back to the West Indian four-prong pace attack of the 80s. You think of bowlers who were express pace, like 
Shoei Bakhtar or Jeff Thompson. And, you know, there is some precedent, but even they had like, you know, sparingly or they bowled it very sparingly and had certain spells in which they did it. Mm. And the field settings in particular were very different. They had a full slip cordon, you know, a couple of catches on the leg side. It was very, very different to what we saw at uh, to what we saw at Lords just right now because the fields were spread out and very yeah. leg side heavy. And, you know, that makes me think that this might just be a first of its kind. Yeah, so I looked at, who did I look at? I looked at Tomo's, uh, Jeff Thompson's fields. I looked at Michael Holding when he bowled to Brian Close. I looked at um, hmm. Alan Donald when he bowled to Mike Atherton. Some of the more famous, vicious spells. Um, mm-hmm. And n- they all had slip cordons, right? Hmm. They all had, in some cases, they had multiple slip cordons as well. Not just, you know, one or two fielders there, but they had multiple slip cordons. Uh, you know, I think it might be the Athers one where he actually, Donald has a ring field on the offside. So he has a couple of slips, a short leg, and then a ring field on the offside. Like, a ring field, look at what we saw at Lords last week. Those fielders were just everywhere. There was no ring yeah. field anywhere, right? At one stage, England had like this triangle field where they had like a square leg and like a straightish mid wicket, perhaps. And mm-hmm. they were both on basically on the line of the umpire. And then about 15 meters back from them, they had another fielder. Like these fields don't look like anything we have ever seen before in cricket. And yeah, the Tomo fields was another one. Uh, Michael Holding I, uh, Michael Holding occasionally would bowl with a short leg and a silly point um, and I think Tomo might have uh, had a silly point as well but what they didn't have was like two leg slips or they didn't have like four guys out on the leg side like England had and like Australia had or they didn't have guys out on the leg side then one someone directly behind the wicketkeeper and then a point they had mm. normal fields and then they would bowl short this is completely different and almost from the moment that Neil Wagner and, and Brendan McCullum team up uh, to start coming up with these fields that's when we've started to see these really bizarre, you know, uh, ways of going about it. And, and a lot of it is about the evolution of cricket as well. Back in, you know, in the Tomo's day and Michael Holding's day, it, it wasn't as easy to counterattack because, you know, players weren't used to um, range hitting. No, no one could do what Harry Brook did in those days, which was slap back hmm. the ball back down the ground regularly. It wasn't a shot that people played. It's not that they didn't have the skill or the talent to do it. It just wasn't a shot. Now, all those sorts of things are there, which means that you have to, when you're doing that, you have to set a field appropriately. And that means quite often between five and six fielders on the boundary, you know, uh, maybe a couple of catches, no one in the slip score. (laughs) And it just doesn't look like any cricket field we've ever seen before. Yeah, and you took some very, very, um, you know, prominent names of fast bowlers over there. Some absolutely, you know, express quicks and Al Donald, uh, Jeff Thompson. And you took another one I can't just recall, but he was also very quick. Michael Holding, of course, the whispering death. And of course, if they'd bowl it short, you'd get it, right? And they'd bowl it sparingly, not just consistently throughout the day. Compare that to England's, I'm going to say it again, military medium militia. That's two. (laughs) Twice now in two podcasts, I've used that on you, your own words, which you can say. But anyway, you compare that to England and, you know, minus Josh Tung, who I think did a pretty good job. I mean, it just doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, it worked, of course, but it's it's quite the contrast, isn't it? Yeah, so I went, one of the things I did was I went through the West Indies and I think there's many different reasons why the West Indies were considered so different. I think the first thing was that at that point, people were still bowling very full because they were trying to bowl outswingers. The West hmm. Indians bowl back of a length, right? So even when they weren't bowling bounces, the ball was coming up above your waist quite a bit. And then you had the fact that they were all fast. Right. Uh, and I think there's some, there were some racial elements to this as well in the way that mm. they were treated and everything else. And I've looked through it. They just didn't seem to bowl anywhere near as many bounces as people remember, certainly compared to today. 
right? This is not to say that in-bowl bounces, they hit a lot of people, they scared a lot of people. But, you know, the game where they were supposed to be at their most brutal, um, I think I found nine dismissals where they were pitching the ball up, right? So LBW in bold. Also, just to add on that, it's a very common sort of tactic to bowl a bumper and then just go straight towards the legs and bowl a yorker. We didn't see that at Lord's. Well, that's the, I think those are the two big differences. So let's start. Let's focus in on what you've just said there. That is absolutely perfect. The bouncer, when the West Indies used it, was to move you back, right? Hmm. It was to get you in the wrong position so they could bowl a lot fuller and they could either get you to edge off or they could get you bolder LBW. It was part of an overall plan. England and Australia were not bowling the bouncer as as uh, a plan to get you bowled in LBW. Even when they moved the batter back, sometimes they wouldn't even bowl the Yorker or the full ball afterwards. There were very few wide, tempting balls, which was another common thing in the old days. You bowl one bouncer, then you bowl one half volley, hoping the guy sort of snicks off as he chases it wildly outside of stump. That wasn't what we saw again here. But the other thing that we just talked about was, you know, the West Indies always had a legitimately fast bowler, and it's not usually two or three legitimately fast bowlers. You know, Mitchell Johnson is obviously, and an, you know, and Mitchell Stark, um, and these sorts of players, and you know, the the, the Alan Donald, Mackay, and Teamy. When we've had bowlers bowl a lot of short balls before, they've generally been very very fast bowlers. England had Josh Tung, and Josh Tung's fast medium. He could touch fast, maybe. I think he got to 91 miles an hour. Um, but that doesn't necessarily make you fast anymore. Probably bowling 93, 94, 95 is probably now considered fast. But he's not slow. And then they had a bunch of guys bowling at, what, 78 to 82 miles mm. an hour. That yeah. we have never seen before on a big scale. Of course, mm. we will get to the man who changed everything in a moment, so I won't, mm-hmm. I, I won't uh, ruin it by saying that anyone who's ever followed my work knows who I'm talking about anyway. But the <laughs> yeah. point is that England tried this with the kind of bowling attack that we would have said traditionally would not be able to bowl consistent bounces. Mm. Yeah, and I guess uh, without further ado, we'll get to the man who, you know, pretty much changed cricket or bounces in cricket. And... You know, whilst we saw whatever we saw at Lords, it was unique in the sense that it was being tried holistically and everyone was doing it, not just England, even Australia were doing it. Maybe Australia didn't do it as much as England did. They mixed it up a bit. But England, you know, they just bowled bounces and uh, it was interesting. But there is precedent of one bowler doing this consistently and that started all the way back in 2014 when South African-born Kiwi left-arm pacer Neil Wagner Of course, we have to talk about Neil Wagner. He has been bowling consistently short since then and has literally built a career out of bowling bumpers. So, you know, you can make an argument that he might be the most influential test cricketer of this generation. I want you to touch on that. And also, I want to ask you, how much did, you know, the existence of Neil Wagner influence whatever transpired at Lord's? Yeah, the the influential thing is... I think Jimmy Anderson was the person who helped move the wobble ball internationally mm. to all countries. Certainly within England, once it was being played everywhere in county cricket, it sort of it went out. Mm. That was based, based around Jimmy Anderson. But he didn't invent the wobble ball and he mm-hmm. wasn't the person who first worked out how to do it. That was obviously Muhammad Asif. And mm-hmm. so from that point of view, he's very he was very influential in the way that he changed cricket. However, someone else was involved in that method. In, if you look mm-hmm. at Neil Wagner... Neil Wagner is the first bowler we have ever seen to consistently bowl bounces for ball after ball, hugely long spells, eight over spells. Even with broken spells. toes. Even with broken toes. Uh, he will just bowl them for, he will bowl a spell of, of, of bounces 
take a break and bowl another spell of bounces. We had never had anyone bowl such long spells before, such accurate spells before, and so consistently. On top of that, him and McCullum clearly came up with these new fielding positions, as we just talked about before. They mm. don't look like traditional fields in any way. They don't look like the bodyline fields. They don't look like the Tomo holding um, Alan Donald fields. Mm. They're completely new. And a lot of that came from, you know, uh, Wagner and the way that they put fielders out on the leg side. There, if you compare him to, I know Virat Kohli is incredibly important in modern cricket because he mm -hmm. decided that test cricket was still going to be played, but that's more an off-field thing. Steve uh -huh. Smith is the most incredible batter uh, that, that that we've had, but no one's really managed to copy him. I know a few players started batting on off stump, so perhaps that was marginally inspired by Steve Smith. But Neil Wagner has basically changed how you bowl um, seam bowling in the middle overs of test matches outside of Asia, right? And he's tried mm -hmm. to do in Asia as well, if we're being honest to him. Um, yeah. Not And also not being a fast bowler, I think, is really, really important as well. And so... It's about, if you look at what England did specifically, England didn't go, get cold for many no balls or wides. Mm -hmm. They were very accurate with what they were doing. That comes back to Wagner because Wagner was so deadly accurate with his bouncer that he could get away with having them between nipple and neck height, right? Mm. And nipple and neck height is kind of the most important length for this because you only get a couple of balls above shoulder height right? And you can't bowl above head height. So if you can do, and this is where the West Indians were thought to be very, very good when it came to their short balls. They were very good at making sure that they could bowl an extra ball or a couple of balls and over that were back of a length that still got you, you know, on your back foot or perhaps even, you know, mm -hmm. fending off. And Wagner basically turned what they did occasionally into an art form. Then you have the fields, as was already talked about, you know, I think it was Sid Monga or Barat uh, Sundaresan, I can't remember which one of them wrote the first piece about his fields. They just didn't mm -hmm. look like any other fields we had ever seen in cricket before, you know. And and now the other interesting thing about Wagner is a bit, he was probably at his peak pace around Josh Tung's um, pace, mm -hmm. right? So 86 to 91, I would have thought. I don't think he ever would have got much faster than that. But the vast majority mm -hmm. of his career, he's probably been 83 to 87. Right, that that right. kind of rate, uh, and again, traditionally you would not have got someone like Neil Wagner to bowl that many bounces. What I was always told by the players was he got away with it because he was very accurate because he was left arm. Right, it was that combination. And then the third thing was his his durability, which is it, a normal bowler can bowl four overs of the of that spell, and he could bowl twelve. Right, which meant mm -hmm. that. For the next, if you wanted to score runs for the next 12 overs, you either had to be very good at flicking off your hip and hope that you didn't pick out one of the catches, or you had mm -hmm. to play pull and hook shots, knowing that eventually you're probably going to top edge one, right? And his ability to do all that, if you think about what England did specifically, because I think they're the more interesting one, because Australia have fast bowlers, so... Yeah, yeah. Not, not, not that Australia wasn't fascinating as well, because they went all in on this. Mm -hmm. Not quite to the level of England, but not far behind. But... right. But if, if you look specifically at, at England, they did it with slower bowlers. And I think that comes back to the Neil Wagner thing where they're like, oh, actually, the left-hand thing is is helpful and it's still, it's mm -hmm. always going to be helpful in in any every way. Left-hand bowlers is always, being, is, is always helpful. But the accuracy, but also the fact that they were saying to Australia, and I think it was Australia's second innings, this was really, really obvious, where they were basically saying to Australia, if you're going to score, it's going to have to be with a pull and a hook shot. We're willing to do this for two hours 
on the basis that eventually you will go out. If you try and score really quickly, you probably will smash a few runs, but then we'll get you out really quickly. If you go really slowly, you won't make as many runs and it will take a long amount of time, but we've got a backup and a backup and a backup. And even Jimmy Anderson was bowling them by the end, right? Mm -hmm. That is very different than, than what Neil Wagner did. Neil Wagner had to do it pretty much on his own. There were some days when Tim Southey was doing it. Trent Bolt didn't bowl many bounces back in those days. And so... Again, you're now, if you're doing it from both ends, if, you, if you're Wagnering, right, from both ends, <laughs> right, at that point, you were saying, and, and you look at that session that England did it, so 30 overs, in those 30 overs, you were going to have to play between 20 and 40 hook and pull shots. We think if you play that many, we will get two to three wickets. And if you look at the numbers, that's pretty accurate. We know it's going to go for yeah. runs, but we know that there's a lot of risk involved. So I do think it comes from Wagner. It's just the more extreme version. And to be fair, Neil Wagner was more extreme. I found one game where he bowled 194 bounces, Neil Wagner. Right? Wow. That's way more than any player bowled in this particular game. However, um, if you go, if you do actually have a look, it's like uh, what, what you will see is that in this game, I, th- I, think it's, I think it's off the top. 200 most bounces ever bowled maybe in the top 50 i think about seven bowlers from this game might end up in the top 50 i think i think it was seven Mm -hmm. guys or maybe i'm getting my numbers wrong i think it was seven guys from this game who bowled more than 50 bounces which is a a huge amount of bounces absolutely and i mean uh, if you'd ask me i think that uh, in test cricket for 2023 the bouncer quota has been bowled out just in this test match that's just how many bounces we saw but it's interesting that you bring in uh, or bring up England's bounce ploy because that's at a time where Australia are looking very, very strong. And when they start bowling those bounces to Khwaja and Smith, they duck initially. They don't try to put any bat at it, but eventually they also realise that this is all we're going to get. So then they take their chances and then some wickets fall as well. So you'd have to say kudos to England, mm-hmm. but go- going forward, you know, you know, the bouncer is a very visceral you know, sight in cricket. It's one of those, you know, rock and roll sort of things about this sport. And if you have bowlers, you know, bowling prolonged spells of bounces all day, particularly if they're England's medium paces, Mm. do you think the bouncer on its own, you know, loses a bit of charm? Yeah, I think what analytics does is it, it... it's a brilliant thing because it allows us to really know what's happening out on the field. And mm. it means that instead of some old selector with a cross across the blazer on making decisions, we can get to the point where people can actually start to make really smart decisions and the right people will get selected and all those sorts of things. But the other side of analytics is that it does reduce the game to what works. If this is what works, and I should say mm. that I did look at England cricket over the last couple of years when the bounces have been used, they haven't worked as well as this game. However, no one has ever tried them for, what, two hours like Australia did and six hours like England did. Uh, so that is a little bit different, but they don't usually work. But if we do get to the point where the bouncer is, let's say between overs 30 and 70, you try the mm. bouncer with your seam bowlers. Um, that's going to be monotonous. And most of the things that have ever been changed in cricket, so for instance, the LBW law, uh, the two men behind square on the leg side, which most people think was from body line, but is actually from um, England off spinners as much as anything. Most of those (laughs) laws were brought about because cricket had started to become a bit monotonous. Patting Mm -hmm. the ball away when it's outside off stump. Bowling uh, off spin, pitching it on middle and leg stump with a bunch of catches behind on the leg side, waiting for little tickles down the leg side, which means you can't play any shots on the offside anymore. 
you watch baseball as it's become more about you know just hitting home runs baseball used Mm -hmm. to be about getting the ball in play as much as uh, as you could and then occasionally hitting the home run baseball's not as exciting now because yet there are more home runs and yet a lot of baseball Mm -hmm. fans aren't as happy as uh, they were when the ball was in play more right if you go to a baseball game now and no one hits a home run you might not see a run right (laughs) like (laughs) you won't see the ball out in the field as much and basketball is obviously my big sport and it's the one in basketball that you notice which is the I think when when the three point line came in, teams were uh, shooting three pointers about two two to three times a game. They're now mm-hmm. shooting it around thirty five to thirty six times a game. And a three pointer was re- when I started watching basketball in you know the early nineties, late eighties, whenever that was. But three pointers were really exciting. They were like a home run in mm-hmm. baseball where you couldn't believe it. They were like a bouncer out of nowhere, right? It was a really exciting thing. I watch basketball now and three-pointers are no longer exciting to me because I am going to watch, if I watch the Nuggets play, I'm going to watch probably between 50 and 80 three-pointers attempted. And the Mm -hmm. chances then also are that I'm going to see, I don't know, 33% of them, 35% of them go in. I'm going to see more missed shots than I've ever seen before, right? Mm -hmm. And as you said, the bouncer is the rock and roll ball. If you're, you know, even grunge music needed a pause, right? Like at a certain mm-hmm. point, if you've just got your foot to the pedal the whole time, I don't think that was, I don't, I, I think tactically both teams did very well and they worked out that there was something going on with this particular surface and the way that the, <laughs> the inconsistent bounce was helping this. But I don't, I wasn't sitting there going, this is exciting cricket. When England were attacking it, it was a little bit more exciting. And also because Australian fast bowlers were on, so the ball was zipping around a little bit. But when Australia mm-hmm. were defending it and England were doing it with military medium, oh, I got it wrong. The military medium <laughs> militia. No, is that what Yeah, it? you got it. Got it. Uh, it wasn't as exciting. And that's not having a go at England or uh, England bowls with the Australian batters. It just wasn't as exciting. Whereas, you know, Cameron Green comes in and rips one past Ben Stokes' nose and you're like, hello, I'm here for this, mm. right? When it's Ollie Robertson and it's 76 miles an hour, and the guy's like literally just ducked it. And now we have to wait five minutes for it to even get through to the keeper. It just wasn't as exciting. And bounces are supposed to be exciting. And you mm-hmm. see this with anything where, you know, the, the reason that bounces are quite often exciting is that you might get them in a short spell. Or it might mm-hmm. be when the pitch is doing something. Or it might be when a batter can't handle it. Or it might be against a hooker. When it's just every batter and every ball, I don't know. From my po- point of view, as someone who loves the bouncer and loves its role in the game, I was sitting there a little bit like, can we not try one other method maybe at the other end? <laughs> so I do think that is an issue if mm. this becomes widespread. If it's a one-off thing, yeah. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Okay, so big tangent over here. I don't have this in my notes, but I just it, it popped in my head right you know, on the spot. Do you think that England's military medium militia continued to bowl bounces at Nathan Lyon because they were convinced that he won't get a concussion? <laughs> oh, I mean, the concussion Because of their pace? 
uh, the concussion thing was so weird. Um, I think KP was mis, uh, misunderstood as well, what he was mm. saying. But I think what people like me and KP were basically saying is that if you have, if you have someone who's injured, the last thing mm. you want to do is bowl anywhere near their head. Because if you do yeah. hit their head, they can be replaced in the game, which is a bonus for the, for the other team. Like, mm-hmm. why would you want to do that? But, but also, I just thought it was interesting in general that they did continue to bounce Lyon because he did have a leg injury as well. So I would have thought some full balls would have been interesting, you know, making him stretch, maybe bringing on a spinner and all sorts of things. But mm. I think by that point, they had to have had the concussion conversation. There were too many of us having that conversation in the press box and there were too many people on Twitter having that conversation and Reddit and our Discord channel and everywhere else to think that the players on the field, at least someone hadn't brought that up. But yeah, it would have been hilarious if they brought it up and Ollie Robinson went, I don't know if I could give someone a concussion. (laughs) Okay, so moving forward, you of course mentioned how, you know, this could be a one-off or this could be something that sticks I just want to, you know, talk about those possibilities. Now, of course, this ploy of bowling short balls, you know, all day long, it won't suit every surface. Of course, cricket is a game that is very agriculture dependent, you know. So not all pitches will assist this sort of tactic. And also, this will take quite a bit of toll on bowlers. You know, the paces, not every pacer is like Neil Wagner. Mm. So, you know, do you see it sort of being successful across different conditions? I mean, it- it shouldn't work in Asia, should it? Am I wrong? Mm. Like, there are maybe so. there may be a couple of you know venues. Obviously, you know, uh, Dhamashala and and some of the, uh, there's one in Sri Lanka that has a bit of zip on it. Like, occasionally there'll be a pitch that you might be able to try it. Uh, mm. I think we've seen Chimera bowl bounces at times in Sri Lanka before, for instance. But yes, I would be shocked if it can be done in Asia. So that's taking a big chunk of cricket out, right? To begin mm-hmm. with. I was, I'm interested to see how it works in Australia and South Africa where the ball carries more, mm. right? Because one thing I did think watching this was that we've seen Neil Wagner do it in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. We've seen right. um, now it happening in England. And if you had extra pace and carry, you're going to get more top edges. And, and I even go back to the previous match when I was watching the, the tail batting and they were, you know, bouncing the tail. And I was thinking to myself, I'm not sure that, like in some cases, when you have a pitch with a bit more pace and carry in it, bouncing the tail can be quite expensive because they get a bunch of top edges and maybe middle a couple mm. and, and you lose the ball. On that particular pitch, I remember thinking to myself, unless they absolutely nail it, they're probably going to get caught on the boundary or very close to getting mm. caught on the boundary. And that's how I felt at this Lords game. So I think New Zealand, it makes sense. And Neil Wagner's proved that to us. I think in England, it could make sense on quite a few different venues. I think Zimbabwe and West Indies are two other ones mm. that came to the top of my head where it could also be. Uh, perhaps Ireland is another one, although half the Irish wickets we've ever seen are, are so green that you probably wouldn't want to try it. But that's still quite a bit of world cricket, right? If we do get to that point uh, where that's what we are doing, I do think at that point, you know, at, that that's a lot. And I'd be worried about this. I, I put this to the Discord channel. Uh, I basically asked this question. Look, anyone is feel free to put it in the comments on the YouTube or, you know, contact me or Bayram on, on Twitter or go into the Discord um, if you're a Patreon. But I asked, is this test a canary in the coal mine of bounces? As in, this is telling us that this is about to happen and it's going to happen a lot. Or is this just a one-off because of a, a, a fluke set of circumstances? Hmm. And I remember, the, the, do you remember the, 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 the game I probably... I know I haven't given you all my notes, so you probably don't have this one yet. But the game where they, uh, where the two teams made four hundred 
Uh, is, oh, of course. Yeah. Who doesn't remember that? Yeah. So South Africa and Australia. There weren't a bunch of games after that where teams scored lots of runs. There right. was one. I can recall an India-Sri Lanka game in which Sangakara nearly chased down like 4-10 or something yeah. like that. But there was one, to your point. So it wasn't like suddenly teams went from scoring 250 runs to 350 runs overnight. Hmm. Right? Even now, we talk about, oh, run a ball's par. Well, the only one-day team who scores at a run a ball is Phil England. Right? It hmm. hasn't changed that much. However, that 400 game allowed the game to move forward a little bit because people understood that, hmm. or were, that there was whatever the ceiling was that we thought on run rates, we could actually get a lot higher than that. Right? Uh-huh. I wonder if this game is that kind of thing. Right. Well, when we look back on it, it, the next test match, I don't even know who else is playing a test match in the next couple of weeks, but whoever plays in uh, India, West Indies, right? Pakistan, Sri Lanka as well. Yeah. So Pakistan, Sri Lanka, probably not going to happen in India, West Indies, right? Maybe we see a few extra bounces. What I don't Mm. expect to see in that test match is a whole session of bounces, right? Mm. The way that we saw in, in, in this one. But that doesn't mean that this game won't have an impact because i do believe having talked to a lot of people in cricket about neil wagner and you'd be shocked to know um that (laughs) they thought that neil wagner was a bit of a fluke and i think what this Mm. test proved is he's probably not a fluke so in some ways neil wagner is the shahid of freedy um and we're uh (laughs) and we're about to enter t20 cricket where everyone's going to be a shahid of freedy although no one's really a shahid of freedy but you know what i mean Mm -hmm. where what shahid of freedy did for so far ahead of the game that it, it was ridiculous looking back on it. Um, and you can't actually imitate Shahid Afridi, but what you can do um, is get to a point where other players are freed up a little bit more like him. Mm. And the same with Neil Wagner. Originally, he was thought of as a bit of a freak, whereas I think people look back going, mm-hmm. no, no, we could kind of do this. In fact, we understand the logic of it. And the more we think about it, the more we can replicate it as well. Right. Now, here's an interesting one for you. I just thought of this. Like, do you see this strategy, if it persists, be more of a second inning strategy? Because in the first innings, you know, not everyone plays baseball. And a lot of teams would think that, okay, let's tire their paces out. I don't know why England didn't do that, particularly because Lyon was also injured. That's what I think they should have done. You know, at least played out 80 overs or tie Australia seamers. It's a five-match series. But just on a larger macro scale, would teams be more keen to duck in the first innings just to tire out opposition bowlers and then this could just be a tactic that would be specifically used in the latter half of a test match? Do you think a team would duck a whole session? I don't think Ben Duckett would duck a whole session, but no. Uh, Ultimately, I think uh, someone would definitely attempt to pull or a hook. Um, Hmm? I'm Pujara. To, Pujara is dumb simply. Azhar Ali, back. but he's gone now. Yeah, Azhar Ali yeah. and BJ Watling are gone. I think my question mm-hmm. to you would be, let's say you were going to do it. Are you willing to score 30 or 40 runs in a session to do this? Hmm. I don't think, forget baseball, I just don't hmm. think that teams would necessarily look at doing that. So because of that, and I also don't think the players are as good at ducking and weaving as they once were, just because hmm. the bat has become... As people have been able to hit the ball further and in front of point, uh, sorry, in front mm. of square further, and also as range innings come in and everything else, that the bat has become a better form of defense than taking the ball on the arm or, you know, taking it mm. on the chest or everything else. So I think that's a, just a normal part of the evolution of all of this. So I do think that that is something that has happened that will, that means that players aren't as good as just taking short balls on. Uh, without mm. playing shots. So I, I think that's tricky. The second innings part, that's where I, I'm interested in 
when is it just when pitches slow down that this is good? Because do you remember when um, Stuart Broad bowled over bounces to Jasper Bromer and went for the world record? Right. Uh-huh. There are going to be times when it doesn't make as much sense to be able to, to be bowling in this way just because you're going to go for a lot more runs. What we didn't see in this test match specifically was anyone really scoring massively quickly off the short ball. We know there are plenty of grounds and plenty of batters and you know plenty of combinations where that will happen. So I wonder if that was the, if the second innings happened like that or if it was just one of those situations where the bouncer was working pretty well in the first innings and then worked pretty well when Australia started to bowl it. So both teams just went to it because it looked like, you know, so, sometimes you get, and this is why I asked about the Canary um, question before. Sometimes mm-hmm. what you get in test cricket is the third and fourth innings are bowled completely to what works most on that wicket. Mm-hmm. You do get extreme um, bowling, you know, suddenly, you know, Jadeja will be bowling really good off the middle of the pitch and then he'll spin mm-hmm. one out of the rough and he'll, sp- he'll, he'll bowl the next hundred out of the rough, right? And you'd be like, but yeah. you're actually bowling really good when you're pitching it on the middle of the wicket as well. I know it wasn't spinning mm-hmm. as violently, but you still could have got wickets there and you see that a lot. You see that in T20 games as well where like teams suddenly try and hit every ball where the wind's going and you're just like, well, they're defending that boundary. Have you thought about hitting it to the boundaries where they're not putting anyone out anymore? And I think we do see that a lot in cricket. And I wonder if that was part of the effect this time. But your second innings point does stand. Also, another point that has just come to my brain is that this could also be a ball-dependent thing, right? The Dukes behaves differently from the Kookaburra, which behaves a bit differently from the SG. And the Dukes ball is known to do a bit more, you know, up until the 80 over mark. But the Kookaburra, it you know, wears off quite quickly and maybe it's a better ploy with that one. What do you think? Well, that's where Wagner started it, right? I mean, so mm. I think you're right. I think the really interesting thing for me was I was I was on TalkSport doing a special uh, on the Hawksby and Jacobs show. You know, they were asking a few questions about the game and it was tea time, right? Mm-hmm. So Australia had bowled, I reckon, about 30 overs. And, you know, uh, they asked me what I thought we'd see after tea and I said, bouncers. I said, mm. they're basically not bowled a bouncer yet. And I think, that they're going to have one spell. And then as I said that, Cameron Green came out on the field and started doing a warm-up and he was bowling bounces. And I went, here we go, get ready for it. I had, I said that thinking we'd see a handful of bounces, then they'd try something else. And then maybe later on to another batter, they'd try some bounces. What we saw was almost bounces from the moment they came back onto the field until, until the end of play, right? And it's really interesting that they waited the 30 overs because mm. I think the softball does help which might go back to your second innings point that you made before. Mm-hmm. But also, they didn't want to waste that new ball. They bowled properly with the mm. new ball. It was when right. the ball got soft and, you know, England had played really, really well. They just went, now it's time to just put the ball up there and see if they'll put up or shut up. And in England's case, they did put up. Unfortunately, they put balls up in the air as well. Yeah. Very, very unfortunate, of course. Uh, thoughts go out to Ben Stokes. That was one hell of an innings. But anyway, there's just one final thing that I need to pick your brain on and then we can, you know, call it a day because it's been a long one. Uh, we saw Wagner Ball in full flow at Lords, And based on the surfaces that we've seen in the Ashes thus far and the fact, or well, not the fact, but the murmurs that these surfaces are made to order by Ben Stokes. Mm-hmm. So do you see this short ball ploy persist throughout the Ashes. Now, is this going to be the Bodyline Ashes series that we look back to maybe 30 years from now? So Adam Collins came up to me at one stage and he said, let's play this forward and say England decide this is the way to go for the rest of the series. Who's Mm. their bowling attack? Ollie Robinson will Mm. die 
if they make him bowl five tests of short balls. Like he'll just die. He's just, he's way fitter than he's ever been. But he, the, the, I, I asked Harmy about this, and Harmy said that he thought that it takes about thirty percent more energy, right, mm. to bowl consistent bounces over that. Time. Does that mean he won't be able to write another piece for Wisdom? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Has, it, has one come out yet? Have I missed it? But um, nope. But but, but maybe it's all those bounces. Yeah, <laughs> funny the ECB have called called a halt on that. Oh, maybe they have it, but we'll see. But um, yeah, so I think from that point of view, Ollie Robinson will really struggle. Jimmy Anderson, can he play again this series if they're going to do this? Mm-hmm. Ben Stokes barely can walk some days. Like, I mean, yeah. it's getting worse and worse. It's getting slower and slower as this series goes on. Stuart Broad also, like, we talk a lot about Jimmy Anderson, but Stuart Broad's also really, really old. And if Stuart, if, if, if Jimmy Anderson's done, they're probably going to want to keep um, Brody around for two or three more years, right? They don't mm. want him to, um, to be bowling bouncer after bouncer here. Josh Tung will play a couple more tests. Um, absolutely fine. That's not a problem. He's been told he's coming in for that. Mark Wood mm-hmm. didn't play this test. I would assume Mark Wood is not fit. I, I, mm. I, I don't think it was like a touch and go thing. I I think if they thought he was even close to being fit, he would have played in this in this test match. Fair enough. So I... I don't expect to see him again. But Mark Wood's the only other person. There aren't actually anyone else. Ollie Stone bowled three balls the other night. I think this is right and got injured. Um, Joffre's obviously injured. Uh, Bryden, Best bouncer in cricket, in my opinion, Joffre Archer. That's unfortunate. Yeah, Bryden Cars. Is it Cars or Carson? Mm-hmm. Bryden Cars, isn't it? It's Bryden Cars. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, it, I don't think he's bowling at the moment, or certainly not bowling at full pace if he's come back. Jamie Overton, I was told, is not ready. Uh, the only name that Colo could come up with was Tom Helm, who I don't, when I put that to other people, they just went, no. Like, they're going to have to come up with a bunch of people who have the fitness, the stamina, and the accuracy to bowl these balls over and over again. Or they're going to ask their most talented, skillful bowlers ever to bowl themselves <laughs> into the dirt. Yeah. I mean, they probably need like a bowler of the profile of Chris Tremlett. That's the sort of bowler that I'm thinking could maybe, you know, well, do Chris that Wokes might be the guy that they may ask to do this, right? I mean, they could, yeah. you know, Matthew Potts. Neither of those are, again, the kind of bowlers you want to do that. But maybe, maybe mm. we're thinking about this wrong. Maybe we're thinking, actually, it's the slower guys where they want to yeah. try this. So I, I don't know. But it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense of where they're going now. And also, they're 2-0 down, right? Mm. This is a kind of... The one thing I would say about this this theory, especially the way that England bowl it, is it's a slow burn, right? Mm. They're not going to... With with Australia, they had the ability to go very quickly through England because England kept playing their shots. But Australia was a little bit slower in the way that they lost their wickets because they were a little bit more patient. And I And I think that... It's still a very clever tactic from England, and they're very good at making sure that teams don't make massive scores against them because of this. But it doesn't mean that they're going to rip Australia out. They're going to have to rip Australia out at least twice in the next six six innings to, to probably mm. draw this series, right? They're probably going to have to rip Australia out at least three, maybe even four times in order to win this series from here. This is not a strategy that I think will do that for them. I'll, I'll be hap- happily be proven wrong, but looking at it at the moment, I'm not sitting there going that that's what they're doing. Mm. Also, I think uh, in this Lord's Test, it was a bit reactionary, right? They'd seen Australia do it, so mm-hmm. they also tried to do the same. So maybe it wasn't an original idea, even though McCullum has Captain Wagner. But yeah, I'm keen to see if, if this uh, England military medium militia pot roast 
as you call it. <laughs> it's a slow burn. Uh, works out or not in the future. But of course, yeah, thanks for joining everyone who was part of this podcast. Of course, it's always a pleasure recording with you, Jared. We'll see everyone soon in episode eight of Footmarks next week. That's all for now. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Sainapaya and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Sports Social Podcast Network.